Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. Hi, I'm still here. <laughs> we promised you'd be gone a week and a half ago, Brad. A week and a half ago, you weren't supposed to be here. Evan and I had plans. We were going to build a fort. We were going to change the entire podcast. We were going to scrub any history of you being here. And here you are. I'm angrier about it than you are. Nah, that can't be right. You know who's the angriest, though? Crystal. Crystal, that poor woman. <laughs> she is ready to burst mentally and physically. <laughs> Uh, Brad, good news as to why, or sorry, the reason it's good that you're still here, though, um, is because you narrowly avoided what would have been the most devastating moment of your entire life. Um, because as you guys know, this episode is our, uh, interview with none other than Nicholas Littstrom. And as you may have heard from last episode, that almost didn't happen for me. For Brad. Evan and I were fine. Oh, yeah. Everything was good. Because you know what we don't have, Evan? Children. Children. I have a lot more money. <laughs> hey, hey, I don't have children yet. I still am just, I still have just a child. He's fully cooked. He's just sitting under a heating lamp right now. You guys just got to <laughs> serve the dish. No, the the little guy being slow off the draw helped because all three of us were able to get in uh, for the interview with Nicholas Lidstrom, which we will get to in just a second. But first, I want to say welcome to this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast. I'm Ryan Hanna. I'm Brad Crisco still. And I'm Evan. Uh, this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast is sponsored by Labatt Blue. Celebrate with the Labatt Blue, uh, with Labatt Blue and the Detroit Red Wings all season long, including their first win in nine games. Find your specially designed cases of Labatt Blue and Labatt Blue Light at your local retailer to hashtag Celion. Uh, Labatt Blue and Labatt Blue Light, official Canadian beers of the Detroit Red Wings and of the Winged Wheel Podcast uh, interview with Nicholas Lidstrom. Uh, yeah, so we, we had the chance to talk to Nick yesterday. Um, very excited to do so. Um, he obviously just published a book, as you guys know, uh, The Pursuit of Perfection, which is available now. There's a link in the description. You guys should definitely go buy it. And we'll be running a giveaway. Uh, we're going to be giving away five copies of The Pursuit of Perfection in honor of number five. So without further ado, let's just do this thing. Tune in to our exciting interview with Hall of Famer, Conn Smythe winner, Norris Trophy winner, and Stanley Cup. He's just Cup. a winner. He won everything. Won everything. Stanley Cup champion and one of the greatest defensemen of all time, Nicholas Lidstrom. Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. This is a very exciting interview with Nicholas Lidstrom, Detroit Red Wings Hall of Famer, four-time Stanley Cup champion, seven-time Norris Trophy winner, and a Conn Smythe as well. Nick, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, thanks a lot, guys. So, uh, Nick, first of all, thank you for taking the time. I know you're, uh, you're a little bit ahead of us. You're over in Sweden. Uh, but this is an exciting time for you because you have just uh, recently released a book in North America called The Pursuit of Perfection. How's that book tour been going? Uh, it's been good. I was actually over in Detroit uh, a few weeks ago uh, promoting the book and, and doing some book signing. So it's been, it's been good so far, and it's been a lot of fun, too. Awesome. So tell us about the book. Um, what brought you uh, to write it? I know you mentioned that you're, they had approached you while you were still playing, but uh, what can fans expect to find in the pursuit of perfection? Yeah, uh, like you mentioned, I, I'd been asked when I was still playing to come out with a book, and I kind of pushed it aside and didn't really think much about it. But then I, I got approached uh, a few years ago, uh, and I decided to 
you know, it would be something fun to do, something fun to document my career and, and start uh, bringing back some great memories I have from from playing, especially with the wings. So uh, I think it was just a matter of, of documenting the book or my career. Was there a, a story or a piece uh, in the book that you were most excited to share that fans wouldn't have uh, known about you or about your experiences before? Uh, I can't think of any particular story. Uh, there are some some things that happened that I, I didn't want to bring up. Some things that happened uh, within the locker room, whether it's uh, you know some some player only meetings and when things aren't going well, you know you have different discussions within the room. So some of those things I didn't want to touch on and and other things I, I wanted to, to bring up that uh, people might not know about, uh, you know, especially, you know, covering the, in the playoffs, you know, some of the Stanley cup finals, but uh, the playoffs as well with all the different teams we had uh, throughout the years. That's great. So when you were writing all these stories and, uh, and, and detailing the book, did it give you kind of a different outlook on things that happened uh, that you didn't have at the time? So kind of looking back, did it bring up any nostalgia or, or give you kind of a different perspective? Uh, in a way, it did. Because when you're in the middle of everything, you're so focused, you're kind of in that bubble of, of thinking hockey all the time and thinking the next game or uh, the next season or, or, you know, even next road trip. So now when you take a step back and you look at, look back at everything, it's, uh, it's been a, a fantastic ride. It's been so much fun being part of the Red Wings and being part of, for on one, on being part of one team for so long. So I guess the, the, uh, the journey itself, because when you're in the middle of, of everything, you're done thinking about that, but looking back at it, uh, you know, writing the book, it's, it's, it's been a great journey and it's been a lot of fun, uh, different occasions with the team. So obviously throughout your career, you guys were involved in a lot of exciting series, memorable games, and arguably the greatest rivalry in the modern NHL with the avalanche in the late nineties, early two thousands. Last week we had uh, Darren McCarty on and he was talking about, uh, the fight night at the Joe uh, where he described himself as the messenger of God uh, <laughs> that night. <laughs> so I wanted to know, that was one of his favorite and best stories from the rivalry. What is your personal favorite story from the rivalry with the Avs? Uh, that's that's one of them. It might be in the top top two or three. Uh, that game, you know, we'd, we'd lost to them the year before uh, in the conference finals. They kind of had our number of throughout the, the regular season in, in 96, 97. And then finally that, uh, that game late March where all hell broke loose and, and, you know, starting with, uh, two European players and Peter Forsberg and Igor Larionov, and that kind of set everything off. But, uh, you know, that's one of the memories because I was on the ice when it actually happened. Uh, that's one of the great memories. Another one is, uh, beating the abs in game seven, uh, seven, nothing, uh, I believe that that was in 2002. Now we were down three two in the series. We had a real tough game to go and play in uh, in Denver, and then winning that game two nothing, and then coming back for Game Seven where we're we're so fired up, and you know we know they're going to bring their best, and you know all of a sudden I think we're up four nothing after the first period, and we're kind of looking at each other in the locker room and thinking, is this for real? And Raw got pulled uh, halfway through the game in the second period, so just. Uh, just a memory of that game itself is one of the, the top uh, as well against the abs. So obviously throughout that entire time period, the Red Wings were the cream of the NHL. What do you think other than the insane amount of talent you guys had on that team? What was it that made that 
era of the Red Wings so special and able to win the three cups in five years? Uh, well, the, the talent you mentioned is one big part of it, but also the determination we had as a team. You know, we had a big uh, disappointing loss in, in 95 in the finals against uh, the Devils. I think that was a big learning lesson for us as a team that, you know, we didn't, we didn't go all the way. You know, we didn't finish the, the series off uh, in the Stanley Cup finals. I think we learned a lot from, from that series. And, and I think we learned what it took to win. I think Scotty Bowman was a big part of that, uh, being our coach at the time. Uh, but I think as a team, we learned that, you know, whatever it takes, we have to make, make it all the way to, to the finishing line. And I think that's what we did uh, years to come after that because we, we knew what it took to, to go all the way and win. And, and with the talent we had, but with the determination we had with the team as well. And I, and I really liked the, we had toughness on our team. We, and we had talent on our team and, and I think they, they mixed to get together real, you know, real good, real great. And I think that was the, the big, uh, probably the biggest reason for us winning uh, so many cups there. So we mentioned earlier to you that Darren was on our podcast and he had nothing but great things to say about you um, other than a story about how he couldn't dump the puck in on you on practice. Um, what did it mean to you and to the team to have a, a warrior like Darren in the lineup for all four Stanley Cups and, and what sort of relationship did that foster off the ice? Uh, you know, Mac was a great teammate uh, on and off the ice and you knew he, he had your back. It, it, whatever happened on the ice, if there's a Something going after someone going after you, or, or there's there's heated moments uh, during the game. You knew Mac was going to be there to back you up, and he had the talent to to go with it. You know he could he could finish plays like he did uh, against Gianna Nienemann in the '97 Finals when he skated around him and, and scored a beautiful goal. Uh, but he could also back it up with his toughness like he did against Lemieux and, and other players. So you know having a guy like that on your team is just. Uh, a tremendous, a tremendous asset because he can he can play and he can be a tough guy and he he'll be there to support you whatever happens, and to know that as a team you know that he's going to be there whatever happens he'll he'll be the guy backing you up that it gives you, uh, you know tremendous comfort to to know that. Uh, for the record, when Darren was on last week, uh, that goal against uh, where he undressed Nima, he we asked him about that and what was going through his mind leading up to that play, and he said he had absolutely no idea. So. <laughs> Just, just some natural talent there. Um, but speaking of talent, one question, especially with the way you think the game and all the players you've played with and against, if you had to narrow it down to two players, who is the most talented player you ever played with and against? Uh, well, starting the player, the most talented player I played against would, uh, you know, Wayne Gretzky comes to mind. First of all, he was, he was a, such a great player and such a difference maker, uh, you know, when he was out there on the ice. But the toughest one to defend one-on-one was Mary Lemieux. He was a tall guy, and he didn't look overly fast out there on the ice, but he had some good speed. But he had the hands to, to uh, stick handle uh, through you, or and with a long reach he had, he could stick handle long, long ways from his body or bring it close to his feet and stick handle. And he had the vision, too. So he was the toughest one to to defend and play against uh, guys I played with. It's you can go down the, the list of great players. Uh, one smart player was Igor Larionov, a very talented player that, that saw the ice, especially as a center. And he saw the ice real well. He knew where he had all his, his uh, teammates and the opponents at all times. 
so he was he was one smart player. Uh, but the the best I think overall player I played with was probably the captain I had for 15 years, uh, Steve Eisenman. He had that I, I spoke about determination earlier, and, and that's you know he exemplifies that with our team. He was the the driving force on, on our teams that that we had, you know, when we had won all those cups. Now he was our our leader, but he was also our best player that stepped up at the right moments when the, the games really were on the line and when the games mattered. He was the guy that stepped up. So now he was he was the best guy I, I ever played with. Uh, Nick, we have a question from one of our listeners, uh, Tanner H. Um, he asks, "I'd love to know." Uh, what are the smaller, more subtle things in a great defenseman game, um, especially defensive defenseman's game, that indicate to to you that this player is thinking the game at a higher level? I think uh, positional play really comes into play. Greeting plays, anticipating plays, and being at, at the right spots, and uh, especially in, as, as a defenseman in your own zone, in your own end, or when you're defending knowing where to be, knowing where to make it hard on, on the opponents to make passes or find passing lanes. Uh, you can you can see guys that, uh, you know, when you're sitting up in the press box and watching players uh, play, uh, play develop, you can pick those guys out that are real smart, that, that are reading the game and reading uh, the plays that are, are going to happen. So I think that's the positional play is something I look at. Now, was there any extra preparation or um, any film or anything you would watch before games, during offseason, whenever it might be, that helped you get that edge positionally um, reading the play? Because you are arguably one of the greatest of all time It's in that specific aspect of the game. So I, I'd be fascinated to hear what you did to get to that level on those subtle nuances. Yeah, no, I wouldn't say I watched a lot of film uh, during the off season. Uh, I think one of the reason is I played different sports growing up. I played soccer, basketball, uh, tried other uh, individual sports too. But I think those those two in particular, where you have to rely on teammates, you have to read plays, and I think that helped me develop into you know, the hockey player I became too. And then during the year, in in season, we watched a lot of tape, watched watched a lot of. Uh, uh, you know, different plays from the way we played and the opponents played, but but mostly if, if there was a mistake make, uh, made on on the ice, you know, we're always look, looking at tapes to what we could have done differently, trying to correct things, and you can learn a lot from from watching yourself play because sometimes you think you're in the right spot, you you think you're you're going uh, into that open area, or, and when you watch it uh, on on tape, you see really that's the you know that's the the true story. That's where you can pick apart what things you're doing right and what things you're doing wrong. So I watched a lot of uh, video in, in season to kind of, uh, you know, help my game become better. Now, Nick, you retired at the end of the 2012 season. Um, one question I, I always think about is um, for any NHL player is how did you know that that was the right time to, to finish up your NHL career? Was it, you know, the, the physical aspect of having to get back in the gym uh, was it that you were done with the mental grind or, or was it something outside of that, like, you know, looking to spend more time with your family? I think it was a combination of, of all that. Uh, I think you know, the grind of, of, of being ready to play uh, every day or practice every day during the season was getting tougher and tougher. You know, my last couple of years, I, I only signed one year deals because I didn't know 
how long I wanted to play, and I didn't want to put the Wings in a in the top spot by signing a long term deal if I didn't know I was going to play. So uh, I signed a couple of one year deals, and uh, you know, eventually when I when I when I came to the decision to retire, it it took me about a month to after we we lost in, in the playoffs. It took me about a month to kind of get get the feel of that that fire that that's been driving me for all these years. I, that I didn't have that fire anymore. It wasn't the same as it has been in the past. And, and I knew, uh, I had to be honest with myself. I knew that I had to have that within me to play it at the age of 42. I had to be work, train harder and be maybe more prepared than, than guys, you know, 20 years younger than me. And, and that's when I, I didn't have that fire anymore. And that, even though it was one of the toughest decisions I ever made, I knew it was the right decision. I still love playing the game, but I, I, that fire was something that the passion that I had wasn't there anymore. And that's when I decided to, to call it quits. Now, Nick, uh, as you know, uh, this generation of Red Wings fans or several generations of Red Wings fans uh, were delighted to see Steve Eisman return to the team uh, now as general manager after having him be captain for so many years. Um, that's brought about a wave of nostalgia and, and kind of a desire to see uh, the old crew come back. You must have been asked this question a million times, so I'm sorry for a million and one. Uh, but is there any desire from your end to uh, take part or, or, or join in the Red Wings organization in any capacity, or are you kind of happy where you're at right now? Uh, I'm kind of happy where, where I'm at right now. I'm I haven't closed the door to that uh, to doing something like that. But it's uh, as of right now, I'm, I'm you know I'm living in Sweden. I'm, my kids are are. Uh, teenagers now so maybe down the road you know when the kids are getting a little bit older i can rethink uh if i wanted to get involved in in hockey again uh, i do enjoy going back to detroit and, and seeing a lot of uh, friends and, and watch, watching the team play and, and meeting guys that are still within the organization but uh i, I haven't made that decision to, to come back yet it's more something i might think of you know down the road all right uh we have um uh, from the leadership perspective, one of our listeners, Joseph Fournier, actually has a question, and you might be the best person to ask this. So obviously right now the Red Wings have left their captaincy vacant. You were the captain of the Red Wings for a, a healthy amount of time. So Joseph wants to know if you can talk about the responsibilities of an NHL captain and what happens behind the scenes uh, from that standpoint that fans don't see. Uh, well, I can look at back at when I was captain and we had Mike Babcock, Mike Babcock as the coach. You know, we had a lot of uh, one-on-one meetings uh, where, you know, Babs wanted to get a feel of the team or he wanted me to look at the, the schedule and, and come up with a plan of, of uh, traveling wise or went to practice or have off days. So you're, you're a lot more involved with decisions like that. It's, uh, you know, he, he, he wanted my opinion on, on, a lot of different things. Yeah, sometimes even the lineup and who who should be in, who should be out, and uh, little things like that. So uh, that's that's one aspect of, of being a captain. Uh, another one is, you know, you're you're the leader in the locker room, or you're one of the leaders, and uh, you're relied upon when it when things aren't going your way. It's it's a lot easier to be a captain when teams teams playing well, teams is winning, and. Uh, you know, everything is, everyone is happy, but when you're not playing well, you're looking for solutions to get out of the slump or, uh, you dug yourself a hole and you have to find a way out of it. You know, that's when it, it's tougher to be a captain. Sometimes you have, 
you know, players only meetings where you know things are said and they have to clean the air uh, so and then you have the media part of it where you're always approached after practices after games uh, you're asked your opinion on different things and uh, different uh, how the team's doing and even though you might score the two goals and feel great about yourself the team lost and you're you have to stand up and ask and and you know answer all the questions about what's wrong with the team uh so it's a lot of different responsibilities in, in, in different areas and uh, i think you have to be uh when you're when you're approached to or be asked to become a captain you have to to know about all these things and you have to be prepared to to do that job too because sometimes you're in the coach's office talking to the coaches and you're still belong in the locker room. So you have one foot in each, in each room, but you're still a player. So it's, it is a lot of responsibilities becoming a captain. So you mentioned all those meetings you had with Babs and obviously Babs is a, a bit more of a fiery personality than yourself. Um, was there ever like a losing streak where you had to go in for a meeting with Babs? You just walked in, flipped a table and said something needs to change or were they all pretty cordial? <laughs> <laughs> uh no there there are some some tough meetings you know babs could ask me what the what the f is going on what's what's wrong on what's wrong with the team you're you know we're losing we're not playing well and fix it you know he'd, he'd say you fix it meaning you know have a either a, a players only meeting or or you know turn things around with a leader group uh leadership group on your team with the assistant captains and and maybe a couple of other guys but sometimes, you know, you know, when you're walking into the rink, you know, you know, the coach wants to see you, you know, what's going on, you know, what kind of questions are going to be asked. So, so sometimes those meetings are tough, but, you know, he, but Babs was, he was honest with me and I was honest with him. You know, he'd asked my opinion. I would give him my opinion. It could be placed where I didn't agree with him. You know, he wanted us to play a certain way. And, and I argued about what I thought we, the way we should play, but, that stayed in that room. You know, he, uh, he's the coach, he's our leader, he's our boss. And that's, that's how we're going to do it. But we had some discussions where we didn't agree on, on some of the things. It must've must been nice for Mike Babcock to be able to just go to his captain and say, fix this, <laughs> knowing full well, he probably would. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, so obviously I'm not going to say you guys got lucky because you guys were a very talented team, but throughout your entire tenure as a Red Wing, you never missed the playoffs. And obviously the current iteration of the Red Wings uh, isn't experiencing quite the same level of success, uh, to put it politely. What type of approach as a captain would you be taking if you were in this situation with the Red Wings as they are right now? I, I think you have to take baby steps, you know, small steps of getting better every day. Uh, they have a, a, a structure or a system, how to play. You have to stay within that system. You have to believe that this is going to eventually make us better. Uh, whether you're letting in a lot of goals or the power play or the family killing or the power play is not working. You have to stick, stick to the system and stick to the plan that you have. You can't, uh, start you know cutting corners or, or looking to solve things on your own you have to stay play within that structure uh and it's it's not easy when you're losing you're, you're looking at trying to find different ways to to get out of it or to to play better uh i think that's when we have to have that the grind of slowly getting better every day and uh i'm sure it's tough on 
on some of the players that's been part of success in the past and then you're in the slump or you haven't made the playoffs in a couple of years, uh, it, it makes it tougher. But I think that's where you have to believe in, in the system that you had and, and, and stick with it. Now that leads kind of into a question from one of our listeners, Arjun Shanker, and uh, he asks, you know, what advice would you have for the team which you just gave? But to the fans, is there any kind of message or piece of advice that you'd want to give them uh, during this period where they might have to uh, exhibit a little bit more patience uh, before they find success? Yeah, and I think it takes time. It it's not an easy fix when the team's not playing well, or, or you have uh, uh, younger players, you have a uh, you know, rebuild your in the rebuilding phase, and it it just takes time to develop players. Uh, you know, before the lockout in 2004, we were able to go out and sign some guys that uh, were on the on the free free agent market. Uh, you can't do that with today's salary cap. It's a lot harder. It's tougher to make trades uh, to improve your team because they're all all the teams are in the same boat. Some teams have you know have cap space, but uh, a lot of teams don't, and which makes it a lot harder to to make trades that, that would fit your team. Uh, so I think that's where, you know, building within your, your system, drafting well, uh, developing developing players, and, and finding the odd free agent that would fit your team and that, that would be a, uh, you know, a good player on your team. And, but I think the, the thing is it's not a quick fix. It takes time to, to develop players and, and kind of turn things around. Uh, and that's that's where, even though it's tough to hear, it, it, you need some patience, uh, you know, from the fans as well. Now, Nick, last question here before we let you go. Uh, pivoting back to the pursuit of perfection, um, I think a lot of fans are really interested in this book, especially the listeners of this podcast, because um, it's a good insight into the mind of Nicholas Lidstrom that maybe we haven't had before. Uh, so, is there anything either in the book or uh, just in general that? people would be surprised to know about you, whether that's uh, during your time as a player or maybe even in retirement. Uh, one thing that's in the book is something that uh, some scientists did actually when I retired and moved back to Sweden, I, I was approached by a couple of scientists that wanted to uh, kind of get into my brain and, and see how I was thinking in different situations, whether it's uh, a two-on-one coming down at you or you're going towards a guy in the corner to defend uh, you're going back for a puck. Uh, they were looking at different scenarios and, and trying to get into my brain how I was thinking in, in these different situations. And I think that's kind of a, a fascinating read when you start reading about that in the book and, and seeing that uh, how I looked at different situations. Uh, I, I was looking at uh, what are the odds of me getting the puck out of the corner or me knocking a puck down on a two-on-one or uh, just all the different different kind of scenarios you can you know imagine happening in a, in a shift or during the game, and that's where they kind of pick my brain and, and put that in the book. And I think that's that's kind of an interesting read, even for me to to look back at it now. Uh, so for everyone listening, you can find all of that and more in the Pursuit of Perfection, uh, Nick Lidstrom's new book. Uh, find it online or in stores. We as a podcast are going to be giving away five copies uh, in honor of number five. Uh, Nick, thank you so much for coming on the show. This was a great interview, uh, and you're welcome back anytime. That was great, guy. Thanks a lot. Welcome back. That was our interview with Nicholas Lidstrom. That, that's it. That's all you got to say. That's the... We've done a lot of cool things on the show. We've done a lot of cool things on the show. Um, having a chance to talk to first Darren McCarty and now Nicholas Litstrom. 
They said not never to meet your heroes, but I think this is the exception to the rule. I, it went great. I don't know why people keep saying that. It was awesome. And we're excited to have him back on. And um, I can't, we can't even begin to describe to you guys how much fun we're having doing this show now. Like, that was absolutely fantastic. We are so thrilled to be able to do that for you. Uh, hopefully, you guys enjoyed the interview. I know there might have been some echo again, but when it's Nick Lidstrom or Darren McCarty on the phone, they, they can be on the phone however they want. And we'll all deal with it. He's the perfect human, not the perfect phone line. <laughs> Nicholas Lisstrom laughed at one of my jokes. I'm going to ride this high for at least three years. Oh boy! All right, start the bets. When will we stop hearing about that? Oh, never. No, I'm bringing this. I'm putting it on my business cards. I'm Brad Crisco, host Wing Wheel Podcast. Once made Nick Lidstrom laugh. I think he laughed at one of each of our jokes. Evan, did you make him laugh? I have no idea. Because Evan's a normal person and focused on the. The whole interview. Yes. I want to say. I'm a professional, Ryan. I want to say Evan came with a whole war document of notes. I, You know what? I actually, th- I actually didn't know what questions to ask up until 11 o'clock yesterday. And we recorded at 1. Yeah. I honestly had no idea what to ask him. Because he's a very private person. And really the book is kind of the only thing that's ever really shown maybe a glimpse into his personal life. So I. Ron McLean was easy because he does everything. Yeah, and I could I thought of a million questions, but um, it was I, I found it very hard with Nick Lidstrom, and because he's answered almost everything that I could ever think of asking. <laughs> it's funny because as we're recording, we do a little bit of a we fly by the seat of our pants in terms of making sure the conversation is flowing and, and we're uh, facilitating a good interview. And so we kind of point to each other and say, yeah, you ask this next or you take this point away or like, I'm going to take this point from your stuff. Or if like the conversation's flowing and one of us has like uh, an appropriate response to it, we just frantically point at ourselves like, yeah, Mimi, got it, got it, got it, got it, got it. We need signs or something. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and next. We, at one point, Brad and I both to Evan said, hey, ask this question. And Evan went, no. <laughs> <laughs> I probably didn't like the question. It was probably one of Brad's and it was dumb. No, it was yours. It was oh, really was it? I had the least amount of questions in the word doc because yeah. it was all coming off my head. Yeah. I, I know. It was – that's the trick to get Evan to be – do the most work is we just have to get Nick Lidstrom or better on the show. Yeah. I just got to cancel one half-hour meeting in the morning and it gave me some time to actually think about things. How do we even step up from this? I Like uh, Gretzky or Lemieux. I think that might be the end of the list. Maybe Stevie. Stevie. That's it. That that might actually Scotty not Bowman? be far off the list. Scotty Bowman would be up there. I don't know, man. I think Scotty was just on Craig, so he's doing podcasts, so we might be able to... <laughs> we'll reach out The fact to that Scotty. Scotty Bowman knows what podcasts are is amazing. Apparently, he's like in his late 80s, early 90s, and listening to... Because I listened to that episode, Scotty's still on his full game. Is he in his late 80s already? Yeah, he's up there. And 86 years old. Wow. 86 wow. years old. And you would not know it listening to the man. Good for him. Uh, yeah. Did we talk about how exciting it was to get Nicholas Lidstrom on the Winged Wheel podcast? We didn't ask him if he thinks a hot dog is a hot no. dog or a sandwich. I, and we, we thank you for that, Evan. Specifically I, forbade. I was thinking about it, too. I, I could see it in <laughs> your soul. Um, Evan, at one point in the interview, picked up the uh, Russian nesting dolls that Simon... And us. the one t- I opened it like six times, and the one time when we weren't on mute, it made the loudest squeak. I was about to tell you, and then I was like, you know what? I can only give this guy so many rules. He'll, he'll learn the hard way. It's, yeah. like, it's like a child. <laughs> you just let him do the dumb thing, and then you look at him and go, and what have you learned? <laughs> and Mind goes, you, that is the coolest Russian doll thing I've ever seen. Oh, it's amazing. I love it. Uh, can't wait to display it in the studio, which we have the house, and we're Yay. working on it, and it's a lot of work. 
Oh, wow. Who could have known home ownership was a lot of work? Uh, We knew the roof needed to be done. They got up there. There was four layers of roof, one on top of the other. I think that's a lot. It's definitely not up to code. It's more than one, for sure. (laughs) They got to the bottom, and at one part, it was just a giant gaping hole. Hmm. Yeah, that could be. no boards under it. Yeah. Bad for Bitcoin is what they say about that. Oh, jeez. Yeah. The roof's done though, so and that oh, okay. was that was right over the where the studio was. So hey, perfect. It's raining like crazy, so maybe you avoided uh, an, a catastrophe. Yeah, with any luck, or this podcast ends in spectacular fashion, as everyone predicted. <laughs> we just a very damp episode one day. <laughs> yeah, it would be a very damp episode. Uh, we're gonna get to hockey. The the Red Wings have had a lot of news. The Red Wings weren't actually considered about the fact that we've. We had Nick Lidstrom on for this episode, and they did a lot of things. They made a trade. They brought up uh, Hicketts and Satchelowski. They won their first game in nine games, and now all of a sudden there's more Athanasiu speculation out there. The, the Red world. Wings are 1-0 and since we recorded an episode with Nick Lidstrom. That's true. That is absolutely true. So, so. do what you will with that information. So, Nick, you got to keep coming back. It's for the good of the team. It's We're for sorry. the good of the team. Um, okay, let's, let's start with the trade. Okay. Out of nowhere, Monday night? Yes. The Red Wings traded uh, defensemen who we were just talking about last episode. This is our fault. This is our fault. Uh, from the London Knights, Alec Regula to the Chicago Blackhawks for left winger Brendan Perlini. Very unexpected. Um, Alec Regula was having a particularly great year in the OHL. Um, big defender who Detroit drafted in the fourth round, was it? Two seasons third. Ago? Third round? Was he a third round pick? Yeah. He was a third round pick. Um, Early third round, too. Yeah, they drafted him two C- two drafts ago. Uh, yeah, third round three, 67th overall in 2018. Um, plays for the Knights. Took a huge step up this year now that a lot of the, you know, Bouchard and other high-end talent had left the Knights. Um, the Red Wings dealt, dealt him for left winger Brendan Perlini, who was a 12th overall pick in 2014, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I believe he's 23 now. Yes, uh, from Chicago. Yeah, kind of out of left field. I'm very okay with this trade. Yeah. Um, the problem with London Knights prospects are they're very hard to figure out who they really are and what their ceiling is because the team is always stacked. Are they going to be a top-notch prospect, or are they? Is it the McDavid effect, where the guys around them are are generational and the, they just pass pucks off their ass? Um, I think Alex Regula is a very good player, but let's be honest, I think he slots in as a bottom pairing defenseman, maybe a second pairing at absolute best if he exceeds the ceiling. Whereas you look at Brandon Pirellini and. He is definitely a project, but he's a project a team like the Red Wings should be taking, in my opinion. So, Alec? Alec? Yeah, Alec. Oh, well, I, geez. <laughs> I like this trade and I dislike this trade for different reasons. So, I'll start with the negative so I can finish on the positive. I'm not a fan of a team rebuilding, trading a 19-year-old for a 23-year-old. Sure. I With Perlini, for the most part, you know what you're getting because he's 23. He's a very streaky goal scorer, but he's big and skates well and obviously can put the puck in the net. That is not a common trait. Regula is 19 and still has a lot of room to grow. We were just talking literally last episode about how thrilled we were with his progression this year and how much on the upswing he is. 
this could be the plateau in his progression, or there could be more. We don't know. He could have a higher ceiling. As it stands right now, I don't think Regula has a higher ceiling than Perlini, but he might. That's why I don't like this trade, because you're giving up the younger, possibly bigger reward in exchange for a 23-year-old who's barely str- who struggled to stay in the lineup with one of the worst teams in the NHL right now. So he'll fit right in. Um, <laughs> the upside. The Red Wings are not lacking right-handed D prospects. So, yeah, we lost Alec Regula. Still have Cider, Lindstrom, Tuomisto, Kasky. Sure, I'm forgetting someone. They're, they are not hurting at that position. Even if only half of those guys pan out, they're fine. And that doesn't include Heronic, who's already on the roster, and Young, and Wright. So, it's not. it was absolutely not... Uh, a thin position in the prospect pool. And Perlini wasn't getting much of an opportunity in Chicago because Chicago's top six for the most part was set. Perlini's not a guy who's coming in and filling on your fourth line. He's not Adam Ernie, which is a lot. I've seen a lot of comparisons to that trade. A, it's not that trade because we gave up a far bigger asset than a fourth round pick because I would say Regula at his current stage is worth at least a second round pick. I'd say second at best. At best, but maybe, right? So you gave up a bigger asset for him, and Perlini's not a grinder. He's not a guy who's going out there and going to fill that air quotations Adam Ernie role and plug in wherever in the bottom six. He's a goal scorer. This is all he's good at in the game of hockey. Now, that's that's a hell of a trait to have because he's big. I've already mentioned he is an exceptional skater for his size, which is a huge trait. He is unbelievably inconsistent, though. He is Anthony Mantha light. Without, you know, Anthony Mantha's talent. But in the sa- same, similar type players, except. Teams not, had, a, the, he's not teams had the, the same vision with him as they did Anthony Mantha. Exactly. It's why he was picked 12th overall. Um, now, Chicago's top six was a little more full than Detroit's. I believe that put in the right situation, Perlini can do well in Detroit because he, I forget the exact totals, but he had something like. 14 goals and 12 and 46 12 goals and 46 games with over the course course of a full season is a 21 goal pace that would put him what third fourth on the red wings right now like legitimately once athens finally scores but we're going to talk about that i if i'm blashill and i want to see this guy succeed i'm pulling darren helm off the top line uh, i wanted to make that point this yeah. kind of I hate to say the word, but it kind of solidifies the top six. Kind of know that's going to last all of five minutes the next game. But it really (laughs) kind of forces the lesser players down in the lineup where they should be. You're saying you say solidified just like the plaster walls we're currently dealing with in the house are solid and that they crumble every time they pull a screw out. Yeah. The drywall is load bearing. (laughs) Anyways. No, I want to see at the if he doesn't slot in with Larkin and Bertuzzi, I wouldn't mind him slotting in with Athanasiu, moving Mantha back up. You have to put this guy in a scoring role. And my big fear of this trade isn't necessarily the value of Regula and Perlini because I think it's two long shots no matter how you look at it. But if you don't put him in a position to succeed, there's no way you can win this trade. On the third line with Hiroshi and Nielsen, sure. I don't think either of them can skate with him, and I don't think either of them are good enough playmakers at the NHL level to get Perlini what he'll need. But maybe. I've Stranger things have happened. 
I'm just, I'm concerned. I, I, I like the trade. Objectively, I look at this trade and I'm not at all upset about it. I, I get it. It's, I don't like the age upgrade, but I do like the positional swap. It was, it made sense for Detroit, but please, Detroit, don't ruin it before it starts. So um, both of these guys uh, made pretty much every point that I think stands objectively in this situation. I think Evan made a good point in that this is the kind of player that you don't mind Detroit picking up in terms of maybe he's a project and he has and Brad touched on the fact that his asset his biggest talent even though it's horrifyingly the only talent really that stands out but it's the most important one in the in the sport of hockey which is scoring goals Um, it's the most expensive thing to buy if you're a GM looking for free agents or a player in a trade Uh, and if this guy can put up 20 goals that is automatically an an asset on a depleted Red Wings team I'm not going to reiterate all of their points because I I agree with nearly everything I tend to fall more towards being less concerned and more yeah why not like this is kind of the move you need to be making we're we're in a position to make swings when the outcomes of those are generally insignificant in terms of wins and losses you know i I try not to repeat phrases too much because we get called out on it but genuinely this is not liable to be a needle moving situation like brad mentioned alec regula was expendable not to say that he was worthless no not that's not what that means but there's just so many other players of his measure or greater in the red wings pipeline and so losing him nothing really happens at the end of the day for the red wings and what detroit picks up is an immediate need which is legitimately a body to play in the top six because currently helm is slotting up there and when glenn denning was healthy he was slotting up there there's a reason why he was drafted 12th overall in his draft year you know if we can tap into even a little bit of that we will quickly forget about uh regula because we have such a pipeline on the right side uh, of our defense. Let's say Perlini comes in, scores 10 goals for the rest of the year. All right, failed project, fine. And that's what f- will be good for fourth or fifth on the team. Yeah, like it's not... Yeah, he- goals relative to your team is certainly important in this one. I believe this is the last year of his RF, like his current RFA deal. It comes in under a million dollars. There's no impact to the team. I think 23 years old is fine, especially for a guy who hasn't by all rights, hasn't tapped his full potential. And when I say that, I don't mean that that's a guarantee. Most players don't tap anywhere close to their full potential. Correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't we trade for Adam Ernie because he was a project and had this untapped scoring potential as well? And he's got a goose egg through nine now? Uh Uh-oh. Well, second time's a charm, though. I think Adam Ernie was brought in primarily because he's younger, cheaper, and can play. He was brought in to do what the team wants Abdulkader to be doing, right? Ernie's older than... Perlini, right? Yeah, he's like 24, though, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah no, uh, no, no. I, I get what you're saying. Oh, per- yeah. Perlini, uh, not Perlini, Ernie, if he didn't fill out the untapped scoring, is still a good fourth-line player. Exactly. That was a bonus, whether he had yeah, the Yeah, if, if the scoring was there, he's he's 0-0 and 0 in nine games, so let's hope he can kill penalties pretty well. Um, Perlini is not that, though. It's no. the same type of trade. You you get a guy in on a project. Now, here's, again, the horrifying reality. By, by every measure, Perlini had a disappointing season last year. Oh, yeah. Uh, Hawks were not happy with his year. He was on a 21-goal pace had he played 82 games. That would have put him fourth on the Red Wings. Yeah. Fourth! So that, if you want to boil it down to one reason why I really like this trade, it's that him as a disappointment is still valuable to the Red Wings as they are. Yeah, he on the scoring depth chart, he's a lot higher to the top on the Red Wings than he is with Chicago. Yeah, it's the Red Wings cleared out a little bit of a logjam. They made things a little bit more smooth sailing uh, in terms of that defensive pipeline. And they added a body that they need now. And 
if everything goes well, could be useful later. And if not, it's not like you're tied to him. Exactly. You don't qualify him or whatever it is, depending on his RFA. I mean, he's an RFA still at the end of this deal. Mm-hmm. Um, he's workable. You either get him super cheap or you let him go. It is what it is. It's not It's not an impactful trade. And I know because it came out of left field, everyone's initial reaction was, this is either completely great or completely terrible or, or at least close to those things. And the reality is it's, it's not. And the reason that's the case is because the Red Wings, to no surprise – because we've talked about this for legitimate years now, are locked in in terms of what they can do with the roster. Eisman can only make these small little like minutia of changes right now because the big pieces, those albatross contracts, are locked in. You know what? If, if this works out, this is an excellent piece to have on a contending team. Well, I, I'll say contending future tense. Yeah. Um, it could be someone we get in very cheaply, on a on a nice controlled contract for when we when Eisenman actually takes those big swings on free agency and we do get our prospects uh, into the NHL system and they start to to um, produce so this could be a good future value move um, and I have no problem giving up a third round prospect um, for someone who potentially could score twenty plus goals in a season i would trade a bottom three defenseman for a potential 20 goal score 10 times out of 10 yep. and that's what, yeah that's agreed. the deal made here i agree uh and for anyone who wants to hear us you know gush over the differences between previous gms and the current gm again um steve eisenman traded a player who was drafted maybe a little higher than what he was projected because he was the longtime team de- dentist son he traded him away without a second that? thought Rugula. Rugula. Former Red Wings team dentist's son. Had ties to the organization, yeah. Interesting. I think, because he went like two rounds before expected, right? No, no, no. He wasn't that big of a reach. He he was a reach at the top of the third round. It wasn't significant, though. Regardless. Not like Tuomisto was. That's not the biggest tie-in in the world. That's like... That's like Chalosky bobblehead night impact where it seems like a big, bigger deal than it is. And we're going to talk about that in a second. Um, but again, for those of you who are worried about the Red Wings continuing their tradition of just being too loyal to players for things that don't matter on uh, in terms of on-ice impact, I genuinely believe those days are behind us. And um, on that point of Iserman not accepting the status quo, that was almost a word-for-word line Elliot Friedman used in 31 Thoughts today to talk about another potential trade ship in the Red Wings organization right now. And Brace yourselves, everyone. It's happening again. Heat up the stove. The Andreas Athanasiu trade rumors are out there again. Now, Friedman did carefully point out that he doesn't believe Eisenman has thrown him on the market yet. But the way everything's been going and the fact that it's a contract year and the last negotiation was rocky, we'll say, contract negotiation for Athanasiu. And the fact that Eisenman has now traded for Polini and sent down Erickson, he is very clearly not accepting the status quo, which was Holland's biggest flaw in a lot of ways. Everything's on the table right now, and Friedman is hypothesizing that might include Athanasiu. Athanasiu is by far and gone Detroit's most tradable asset. Athanasiu would be the most tradable and valuable asset as a trade piece for any team in the league. This isn't a for Detroit qualification here. It's not like when we say, oh, uh, Nick Jensen's our most tradable asset, but that still won't fetch a good return kind of thing. No, Athanasiu's legitimately will be like cream of the crop for teams wanting to trade for talent. So 
it makes sense based on a how Eisman has run this team and b how he's performed so far this season that people will be talking about it. Friedman's a pretty well connected guy, and so if he knew something, he'd say he knows something. This is, I think, informed speculation. Not that it's baseless. I think he's got great. He made some great points, but right now it's nothing to you know go too crazy about. Now I want to touch on something you said because you're right. Athanasiu is the most tradable piece that the Red Wings have right now, and the reason he's the most tradable piece is the exact reason you don't trade him. His value's low. Yeah, he's got an 0-4 on the on the season right now. Again, I'm of the mindset trade anybody and everybody. Nobody should ever not be on the table for a trade. If someone comes at you and says, we'll give you seven first round picks for Dylan Larkin, you take it. Um, yeah, it's hard at this exact second, but you look at last season, you're like, wow, that brings in a King's ransom at the trade deadline. Whereas you look at right now with the, with him struggling, where, what, what sort of middle ground do we find in, in, in a trade and who's willing to be a trade partner? He and Mantha almost flipped because last season I would always say Athanasius' perceived value value is higher than his actual, and Mantha's perceived value is lower than his actual value because we know how talented he is. And now they're kind of they've kind of flopped because Mantha started uh, the season playing to the talent level that we know he's always had, and Athanasius just started so stone cold. All of that extra buffer value has kind of disappeared. Now there's. On top of the his value is low right now, the other reason you don't trade Athanasiu is the whole reason we were excited about Perlini coming in. This team lacks goals. Don't get rid of a 30-goal scorer even though he's on a cold streak because if Athanasiu wasn't generating chances, I would be deeply concerned. He is generating a lot of chances and finding new and creative ways to not score. He had a Last puck literally ridiculous. sit on the top of Koskinen's pad. He had got it past the front of his pad, and it still somehow did not go in the net. He is snake bitten, and here's why this might be a good thing, honestly. Athanasiu, if he continues to produce chances, his career average shooting percentage is somewhere around 12. That will always balance those. So we can assume that will round to form, but if he misses a good chunk of goals this season because of a bad shooting percentage to start the season, his goal total at the end of the year might only be 20. Do you know what 20 to 30 goals does? It saves you some money on his next contract. Yeah, I was just thinking that. So it might not be the worst thing in the world. There, Unless the team is willing to pay the premium on a 30-goal consistent Athanasiu, you don't trade him right now. Now, what is the premium for a 30-goal score? I would imagine a first-round pick plus. So, again, don't say no to a trade if it's there, but what's the trade value on a 20-goal score? It ain't a first-round pick, I'll tell you that. No. So, everything right now with the situation points to me, do not trade him unless you're absolutely maxing out his value, which, given the way the market works, is not going to happen at this current moment in time. I'll just throw out one hypothetical trade. Oh, boy. And there's no guarantee that we resign, re-sign this player coming back. But Athanasiu will sign or trade and sign for the other team. Okay. So sign and trade going to the other team. This player coming our way with no guarantee they're staying. Athanasiu for Taylor Hall. Yes. 
Oh my God, yes. Yeah, but it, he, I don't think he would stay. I don't think he would stay either, but he does have ties to Windsor. It's not too far from his home in Kingston. And if we had a full I, six months I, of negotiating rights. Yeah. I would say yes too, but I really don't think he's staying because he's just moving tire fire to tire and fire. And you wouldn't need about a sign and worry about a sign and trade with Athens because he's a restricted Oh, that's right. Yeah. So the, whoever gets him is holding his rights. I don't love the idea of Detroit trading for an air quotations rental in a rebuild. But man, that's a swing worth taking. That's a swing for sure. And Taylor I, Hall is points in the standings good. Like, oh yeah, wins win different. So we definitely good. shouldn't do it. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, the other one I would look at because now here's one that might make more sense. Not that I would do it because Taylor Hall is a huge ask for an Athenasi. Oh, all, yeah. all things considered, I don't think New Jersey would even do that upright because no. the negotiating time would be worth it to them. But if you look at a team that has struggled for depth scoring, is in a position to win now, is in a posi- a poor position to re-sign a big free agent this offseason, if you want to look at a sign-and-trade coming back the other way, Andreas Athanasiu would be a great central piece to send to the Bruins yes. for Tori Krug. Huh. Now, the Bruins are the best team in the league right now, arguably, so they are not giving up any assets right now. They, are, they would keep Krug as a rental to go for the cup instead of trading him. But I think something along those lines makes a little more sense. Tory Krug is 28. Athanasiu, and he'll be 29 in April. Athanasiu is currently 25. I'm also... Oh, I know. I, I'm not saying I would do it, but that would... I could see if Boston's season goes off the rails and they... Pre- I won't. And they, and they continue to lack secondary scoring, I could see them taking that view i'm not saying it would happen i wouldn't put money on it. impactful injuries is the one thing i would look for in a team so i immediately think about vladimir tarasenko yeah um yeah because if you're st louis you'd say well we were he's their gamer really this is our this is our window and we want your best chance to win a cup is the year after you just won one it's not actually true but didn't someone throw the hypothetical athens you for robert thomas at us the other day oh Oh, yeah, yeah they did uh, <laughs> Pittsburgh, you know, they lost Malkin for a while. They're Colorado's missing two thirds of their top line. Edmonton. Edmonton just needs forwards. They just need forwards. They have almost as many guys as us. Yeah. But they're... they have two very, very, very good guys. Oh, yeah. They're, they're, Edmonton yeah, did a good but, job of. But our guy shut down their guy. True. Mostly. Did you see the uh, Mike and McCurdy's uh, impact from that game, Larkin on McDavid? How can I not? Ryan retweeted it eight times. Larkin <laughs> shut him down. And this is how good McDavid is. Still had a primary assist, but was by and large shut yeah, down. McDavid. I had the whole tweet set up where the Red Wings kept McDavid pointless two games in a row, twice in two weeks. And I was like, has anyone else ever done this? And I started doing research into it. And they scored. <laughs> the Red Wings prevent defense. Let you down again, Ryan. Uh, we'll You're welcome talk- for that segue. Yeah, you better we'll, use it. We'll, we'll take we'll take this opportunity to talk about last night's game against Edmonton. It was the Red Wings' first win in nine games, and that just goes to show you nobody beats the Red Wings nine times in a row this season, except it might happen, and it, it happened last season, not that yeah, long ago. Yeah, it's it's happened quite a bit. Anyhow, uh, the Red Wings shut down McDavid and Drysaddle for the most part for, through forty minutes, and then they had a classic third period collapse. Can't wait to keep talking about the that most iconic season. duo. They didn't have a classic third period collapse. They only partially blew the lead. They got dummied in the shot department, but James Tiberius Howard said no. Yeah, the Did way you ever th- watch Arrested Development. Yeah, Brad sometimes reminds me of Tobias. He does. <laughs> 
<laughs> it's like the shape of their head too. The way Brad just said that, uh, it just made me. La- I was laughing in my. There mind. are dozens of us. Literally dozens. No, the uh, I've never seen that show. You wouldn't have. Of course, you haven't seen Arrested Development. I need free time to keep up on shows, Ryan. Well, you know what we have. We're about to sit in a hospital for a week. You can catch up. You oh, know what buddy, we I've have. Already got the Ignite app on my phone. Excellent. I'm watching a whole lot no of free TV. Ads. You want to know what Evan and I have that you don't? Time. You want to know what you have that we don't? Kids. <laughs> <laughs> got them. There's no man. There's no mystery to this, Ryan. It's just an observable fact. We'll close that case. Oh man. Anyways, uh, no. The the Red Wings. Yeah, you're right. It wasn't a, the a classic collapse in that they didn't blow the lead. Finally, uh, but the on ice play. I was watching. I was like, oh, you can't play like this against <laughs> Connor McDavid and Leon Drysaddle. They made him pay once, but not uh, throughout the whole game. I thought the first forty minutes were among the Red Wings, a continuation of the Red Wings game against St. Louis, where it was among their best efforts this season. We're undefeated uh, in bowl games this year. The Ken Holland Bowl were one and zero. Yeah, and the Toilet Bowl were one and zero or zero and one. Depends how you feel. About it depends, that. depends on your view of tanking. Yeah. We'll we'll claim that win either way. Yes. Um. Yeah. Ken Holland came back to town. And they they. Promptly defeated him. Uh, they had a really nice tribute to Ken Holland. That was, mm-hmm. that was good to see. Um, Joe Hicketts was up that game. Yeah, that was interesting. Didn't notice him at all throughout the game, which is a good or a bad thing. To Guy Hicketts. Guy Hicketts, yeah. It's, it's essentially what the case was with Giovanni Smith and, and even, sadly, Svechnikov. They just didn't get enough of a chance to have an impact. Um, I'm not too upset about that for anyone but Svechnikov. I think he could have used a bigger look. Six minutes the last game he played. Yeah. This is beyond stupid. Well, let's he's, talk. He's but, becoming but, our Thomas Yurko. No, but now that we're talking about beyond stupid, I want to talk about why Joe Hicketts was in that game because this is the same garbage are again. We, and I'm, are we going to do a Mike Milbury minute here? No, it's not worth the worthy of a Mike Milbury close, minute because we're going to need. We're scratching. We're close. Service. We need more than a minute on this one because it's Dennis Chalowski was healthy scratched due to poor performance, essentially, to yeah. summarize Blashill's whole whole quote. Even though by almost every metric you want to m- use analytics, basic stats, your eyeballs, he's been better than Green, Bowie, and Daly at a minimum. He's been clearly better than them. Now, if Blashill's holding him to the – using the excuse, yes, I know Chalowski's better than these guys, but Chalowski hasn't been playing up to his own standards fine i don't love it because you better start scratching those guys then because this is just a bad precedence to set be like yeah well if if we expect nothing of you and you deliver nothing we're going to keep putting you in the lineup but if we expect something of you and you have a few off nights we're going to scratch you that's just horrendous a horrendous mindset to have throughout your team why is chaloski the whipping boy because again this this is my whole crux why? Why is it always him? Because as I mentioned, you can point to a dozen other players on this team who are more egregious examples of what Blashill scratched him for. I think because maybe they have some promise in him. But that's the only thing. I'm digging here. No, you know what? That, that is the reasoning they're using. They're saying, Cholosky, you're too good to be playing like this. And if it's an effort thing, they're saying, you can't be dogging it. You're a young guy who has a ton of potential. You're the last person t- to be dogging it because we know Daly's going to be bad. But we need you to be good. And this is like we we just won't stand for it. And I I understand that argument. We've already done this. We've already we've already done this with Chalosky. We've scratched him for his we hometown s- game. We sent him down to Grand Rapids. I believe sending him down was the right call at the time. Sure. First season. I, I still don't think it was the right call, but I absolutely understand the 
that move. There is a limit to how much you can do this before it starts to get a little ridiculous. Yes, he could have been playing better. Yes, maybe it was an effort thing. With with all the stories of of Chalosky's offseason training, do you really believe it's an effort right? thing? This guy is in it for all the right reasons. He's doing everything right, and yeah, he's not perfect. He's not maybe he's not as good as Heronic right now, or maybe <laughs> he's he he's not doing things right that he was doing before. But at what point are the Red Wings going to just look at the bigger picture here and understand that not scratching Green, not scratching Daly? Not scratching Bowie, although they have scratched Bowie before, in fairness. Though all three of those guys, I think, have been consistently worse than Chalosky. The only players who I think might have had better games sometimes is Mike Green, and that's only a handful this year. I haven't seen it yet. When you don't scratch those guys in favor of him, at this point, he's not in his first year anymore. He's not a rookie anymore. What are we doing? I think... He has an upper limit, right? You need to send the message that everyone is accountable for their play. And I think that should be extended to every single player on the team, regardless of your tenure in the NHL. Um, that would set more of a precedent or um, some sort of expectation in the locker room than being, oh, you're the future player on this team or your future, hopefully, star on this team. We're going to make an example of you. And that person's like, well, why does it have to be me just because I'm better than these people? Yeah. They've been in the NHL a lot longer and they suck now. They should be sitting. Like, why does it have to be the young guys? There, there's other alternatives. And Evan nailed it. That is my whole, not my whole, but my main is problem your with your this. Main? My main problem is that it's, you have to keep everyone accountable. Because even if they, if Cholosky had a bad game and Blasio wanted to bag skate him after a practice, fine. I'm okay with that. That happens all the time. That happens in my garbage senior A league. And I've only been there for four games. You play bad, you get bag skated. People get the message, believe me. Players hate it. You don't scratch them. I hate bag skates. <laughs> oh, I hate them so much. Imagine, My lungs are quivering. <laughs> imagine going to work or school all day and then stepping on the ice just to skate until your body can't anymore. That was the worst. Sorry, I just remind, no, I haven't yeah. had a bag skate in years. Yeah, but would you rather take a bag skate and play the next game? Yeah, of course. 100%. So it getting kinda, sat you know, is the worst. The, the problem with this whole situation is it kind of just puts – players on different levels of pedestals and it doesn't really lay the foundation of what's acceptable and what is our expectations because you see somebody trip over the blue line or score shoot it into their own net as an exaggeration but and it's just like i mean heroic did it the other game but (laughs) yeah so so that's what you need and he played 27 (laughs) minutes last night so so it's like you know you look around you're one of the the upcoming players on this team and and you're like, oh, I had one bad game, and now you're afraid to play, play crap. Legitimately, he this there's season, already enough pressure on young guys coming into the NHL. Don't add this artificial stuff on top of that. You know, if if they sat an applicator or scratched an applicator or a Mike Green, I think that sends a better message to the young players that everyone is accountable for their act for their performance. This now, team sucks flat out. This team is not a good team this year, and that's okay. What's this season for? Learning. And making mistakes. And perhaps they think that this is the correct learning approach with get, Dennis Cholosky. Get him Maybe out Maybe it is. I don't I don't want to speak too much because you don't know what happens in conversations between the player and the coach. You don't know what's happening in the room. I know I, I want to qualify my next statement with that. Like, I understand that this is speculation. But if you can't get the guy to do the right things on the ice and your only solution is to sit him or, you know, use it as a – use scratching as a punitive measure, is that on the player or is that on the coach? That's on the coach. Because here's what I think it all boils down to and why this keeps happening. 
I think Blashill in his mind does everything for the right reasons because he wants Chalos- to get the best out of Chalosky. All these people are saying, oh, he hates this guy. He hates that. Okay. Let's stop that. Blashill doesn't want any of these players to fail. No, no. This he, is all, he, at the end of the day, yeah. one of the trickle downs is his job <laughs> yeah. from them being back. Exactly. He needs every single player on this team to be performing peak all the time at best. What I what I truly think is going on here is I think that Jeff Blashill doesn't value the proper things in what makes a good NHL player. I don't want a team playing scared. That's not how you win in the NHL. If you play scared, you play conservative. If you play conservative in today's game, you lose. You need guys like Chalosky and Hironik and Green going full send every shift. If that means making a risky pinch or making a bold pass or whatever, and it works more for them than it doesn't, it's worth the trade-off. You learn more from mistakes than success. Exactly. It's, And I, I don't think Blashill values what a good NHL player is properly these days. He takes his, his, I don't know what you want to call them, his stallions, and he tries to make them tame horses. He did it with Athanasiu, Mantha, he's doing it with Chalosky. Thankfully, Hironik's actually very good defensively, so it hasn't been an issue, but he's trying to take these players and turn them into something they're not, is basically the vibe I get. Again, speculation, like you were saying, I'm not actually sure, but the more and more happens over the years, the more and more... Either this works yeah. and he looks like an absolute genius or it doesn't and it makes him look like he doesn't know what to do. Well, they've done it before. So what's the definition of insanity in that whole bit? And I don't want to sit here and just rail on Blashill endlessly because, again, like he's I'm not working do. with a lot. But you also – there's the question and I think this is a very fair question. It's mean but it's a fair one. Can you say in full confidence that a coach who is perceived to be on the hot seat or knows his job is not secure – beyond his contract, or even right now, do you know that every decision he's making is what's best for the long-term success of the team? Or do you have to consider the fact that he's looking for short-term gains to make himself look better? My whole thing right now is that he's going for short-term fixes, as he should. I do not fault him for that because there might not be a tomorrow for him. Yeah, coach is definitely coach for the now. But the whole the only thing the Red Wings, and Eisenman specifically, should expect out of this season progress especially in the young players now if Blashill believes this is the best way to progress Chalosky as a player sure I disagree with it plainly as we've already covered extensively but if Eisenman looks at this and goes yeah I don't like what's going on with Athanasiu or Mantha or Chalosky or Hiroshi or Hronik whoever then he has to make the change yeah it's all about the individual success metrics that they set out for these players uh, sure. Helm and Ablocator are playing above expectations this year so far, although they Helm is coming back to Earth. Um, it's Dude, Clyde, you just fire the puck right into the logo every time. Every time. No finish at all. I love the guy. Yeah. Death, imagine though. if he had any finish. He'd be a first. He'd line. be Athena CU. Yeah. Um, <laughs> not right now. He'd be, but, he'd be Mike Babcock's wet dream. Oh, yeah. yeah. Darren Helm with finish is if he, there, there's just that player doesn't exist. Imagine Luke Lindenning with hands. Oh, uh, what are you talking about, pal? Cool backhand Luke Glendening. <laughs> Anyways, um, oh, damn it, I lost my train of thought. Where was I going there, Ryan? If you're- Anyways, so yeah, the prog- what happens with Helm and Abdulkader this year does not matter for this team beyond this year. No. There, it has no bearing. Yeah, sure, Blashill is getting the most out of his veterans who are on bad contracts, offensively incapable, but they are performing terrifically defensively. Who cares? I feel like we had this exact conversation- just insert like Anthony Mantha's name. 
I feel like we've, we've had this conversation about all of them at some <laughs> point, except for Larkin, because he was just too good. I'm having like this weird deja vu yeah. where we basically just insert young players' name, then talk about old players who are bad and we don't like them. And I'd say 20% of people responded to us saying, <clears throat> it's not that big a deal if he sits for one game. And to USA, you are correct. 100% you are correct. If this is a one game thing, you're correct. But we're not talking about just this one game. We're talking about the the whole philosophical why now, why him, and why all the time. Because it hasn't been just once. What is it with just Cholosky? And why him compared to the other players who have been, by every measure, the eye test or the analytics, you look into both, uh, like extensively worse. Daly and Green and Bowie have been extensively worse. There have been nights... Like, I get it, DeKaiser got hurt, and I get it, Hirona, like, Hironik and DeKaiser, especially when DeKaiser is healthy, they've both been playing better than Cholosky this year. That's great. Awesome. Like, that's good. But Cholosky's not doing poorly in my mind. He's no. been perfect. No, but considering the fact that he's still very young. He's 21? He's not. And our, he's team is, our team is bad, and we get shelled most of the games. And this perception that because the team has no offense, they're good on defense. No, they're also bad on defense. Like, the forwards are bad at defense, and the defense are generally bad at defense in this team. Like, He's not <laughs> set up to succeed, and he's done well considering the position he's in, in my mind. No, not as well as Heronic, but what do you want from him? Okay, so I'm going to make an example. I'm going to I'm gonna make a statement here, and I want you to tell me at the end of the statement who I'm talking about. Smooth skating player, very naturally talented, offensively inclined, defensively definitely a work in progress. Such a smooth player almost looks like they're not trying at times, even though they are. Immense amount of talent hasn't fully been reached yet. Who am I talking about, Ryan? Oh, and Anthony getting, Mantha. Am I talking about Anthony Mantha or Dennis Chalosky? Because they both got went through this exact same treatment. That's good. I like that comparison. We should save this episode and just rerun it again the next time we have this yeah. issue. Yeah, and then, and then dub over where we're like, Joe Valeno. <laughs> no, no, Valeno wouldn't fit that. I'm getting this ready for the Jonathan and Berger why does episode. Jeff Lashell have... Joe Valeno in the doghouse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It'll save us a ton of time recording. Can the you believe he helped you scratched Jonathan Bergen? <laughs> it's this, this is why we overreact. Write, write that down. Other than the fact that we're a podcast and need things to talk about, this is why we overreact about small things like this because this Just isn't we're not overreacting because one Chalosky grain of sand builds game. a sandcastle. Exactly. Boom. Write it down. <laughs> you write it down. <laughs> okay. Captain note taker. <laughs> It brought a high school essay to the interview. I had to be prepared. We're we're not going to keep digging into this one because it's pretty clear what Today. our position is. Yeah. <laughs> Until uh, next time. What are the what are their upcoming games? Oh, there's one game Friday. Uh, oh, by the way, in case you guys don't remember, I will be gone for the next two episodes of the podcast. <laughs> so might I. Uh, we're waiting. I'm going solo on Sunday, everybody. <laughs> what, what, how did you describe that before the episode uh, what started? What did I say? We're going to take a deep dive into the ex- the extensiveness of my mental sanity or something. <laughs> yeah. So for everyone's sake, let's hope that Brad's baby comes either soon or later um <laughs> it'll be just brad and evan for the next two episodes the overhead light will be off and there will only be that light on yeah just the back and i'll be sitting you. right there and yeah. that's it um, hello everybody welcome to evan's memoirs i'll be gone it'll be for the next two and then i'll be back for the ninth um and then evan will be you're gone in november at some point yep uh we'll miss two episodes in november yeah so Keep posted again, like we said, new baby, new house, 
Evan's departure. There's going to be a lot of things that are dicey. We should resettle and things get a little bit normal and we start to do more stuff again come December. If I have a newborn in November and out of the three of us, I'm the only one to not miss an episode, I swear to fucking God. <laughs> this is going to be Brad and two children. Which if if you two miss the same episode, I'm literally planting Mika and the baby in these two chairs and just running with it. The baby, you'll have to crapping their pants just like us. Um, (laughs) Mika's potty trained. Come on now. It'd just be one of them crapping their pants. Stuff from around the league before we get to overtime. Roman Uh, Yossi's very rich. Yeah. We forgot about that pre-show. What coverage was it? Eight times 9.059 or that stupid thing they do with their Let's call it nine and change. Yeah. Uh, big contract for a very good defenseman who's very 30 years old at He's this time it starts. Very 30 years old. Full no-move clause, too. Yeah. Look, Roman Yossi's among the best defensemen in the league. I know some of the analytics. Yeah, I was going to say, if you talk to Mike, and no, he's not. Some of the analytics support the fact I think he's their leading scorer this year, too. I thought that was Ryan Ellis, because he was killing it for me in fantasy. Mm. Thanks, guys. Um, some of the analytics support the fact that he might be propped up by other defensemen. I don't know. You watch Roman Yossi, and he's one of those guys where you're like, yeah, his underlying numbers might not be perfect, but this is a guy where you don't let him go. Obviously, he's he's among one of the best defensemen in the league, and and just the eight years at 30 years old, though, that's almost definitely going to be a problem later on. I don't know what his previous contracts were like, so maybe it's like, all right, today's payday, and uh, this is what I want, and this is the term I want, and if you won't give it to me... Definitely someone else will. Well, we always preach the same thing, right? And it's that defensemen have a premium because it, it's so hard to find top-end defensemen. Yeah. So, yeah, he, he might not be worth objectively the value in the term that he got. But if you had a chance to sign Roman Yossi for that contract and you're Steve Eisenman, do you do it? If Nashville no. finally wins the cup, people will forget about it. Of course. If Nashville wins the cup in the next two years, it's worth it. I, if I'm Steve Eisenman and I'm the GM of the Detroit Red Wings, as they are right now, I do not do it. That's a fair point. But oh, what yeah. Evan said is is true. If, if you're, you're in your window, window, you got to overpay. You'll deal with it later. That's future uh, David Poyle's problem. It's the Kings and Drew Doughty and Anze Kopitar. The LA Kings are among the worst teams in the NHL right now and will be for several more years. Do you know what they have in their back pocket out of this? Two Stanley Chicago's Cups. Chicago's the same way. Look yeah. at the con- or the Brent Seabrook contract. That contract is awful. And they have three Stanley and Cups. And I would take three Stanley Cups and 100%. live with that contract any day. That, and people forget that. Like, oh, St. Louis is not the most perfectly you know constructed team. And they had a lot of holes and blah, blah, blah. They, they strike have a, when the iron's hot. They have a Stanley Cup and that's worth it. If the Red Wings sign, you know, sign Brendan Perlini for a $10 million contract out of nowhere – but he puts up 50 goals the year after and is a Smythe winner on the way to the cup. Bam, perfect, worth it. There is no contract too big or too long where I would say that's not worth a Stanley Cup. And that's what that's what Poyle is going for here. That's what you have to do with Roman Yossi. You see him, you see Ellis, you see Ekholm, you you see them as your core. You got to keep them. Yep. And that contract negotiation was a long one, is an arduous one. And Poyle had the foresight to say, if this goes any longer, we run the risk of losing him, and we can't afford that because then our window collapses. I don't love it. I don't love the term, but in his position, I probably would have done the same thing, right? Like, yeah, yeah. You have to add history and whatnot, yeah, and all of that. We're all going to be ridiculing this contract in five, <laughs> six years, and we understand that, and that's fine. And revisionist history is anything, and we will not repeat the fact that we said any of this at that point in time. Of course, we have that. We option. will say we were we knew it was stupid from the get go. 
Uh, we're going to get to overtime, which today is brought to you by Motor City Garages. Uh, they're a family-owned and operated business servicing Metro Detroit. Uh, they do garage flooring, cabinets, overhead racks, wall storage, helping your favorite podcast interview one of the best defensemen of all time, and car lifts. Uh, enough of the messy garages everyone is sick of walking through. It's time to turn it into something useful. Whether you like to work on your car or if you'd like an organized space, we have you covered. 3D designs and lifetime warranty. Motor City Garages Park in Style. We're going to head over to Patreon, where our patrons get their comments read out as our way of saying thank you for supporting the show. Midweek episodes are only Patreon comments. Uh, Matt Chanyi says, hey, Dub Dub's been listening a while and finally decided to become a patron. Thank you, Matt, for your support. It's so appreciated. Uh, you guys help me become a better hockey fan because you're the first legitimate source of Red Wings news I've ever had. It's tough getting Wings coverage when you're in the middle of Leafs country, so I can't thank you enough. Hey, we feel you, man. We we're... feel that on a spiritual level. Anyways, I wanted to ask a question that came across my way when you guys were discussing Blash Hill's hot seat. Should the Wings look overseas for coaches, or do you think a new coach would have to come from North America since the NHL is so different from European hockey? Thanks for all you guys do. Your episodes are always highlights of my week. L- listen to me carefully, okay? Ricard. Gronberg. That was, yeah. He's got experience in both, and he's one of the best coaches not in the NHL currently. A friend of the podcast, Ricard Gronberg, fun fact. Friend of the podcast. Yeah. We We should get him back on, actually. He was a a fun conversation. Um, But no, you absolutely look overseas. Hockey is the same. The dimensions of the rink change, so you strategize differently, but brilliant hockey minds come up with the brilliant strategies. It's no different. You improvise, adapt, overcome. Um, yeah, Rowan and Joseph both mentioned that. The the thing is, yeah, European hockey is different, but what Brad mentioned, like it's not impossible to translate. Players do it. Coaches can do it too. They're not robots that are only pro- programmed to do one thing. They're very smart hockey talents, and they can make that change. If, if it were that simple, you would hire systems and employ systems. You would not hire people with brains. You um, are employing the brain. Go back and listen to our interview with Ricard. I think it was two, a year and a half ago now or a year ago. I think Almost was, two years ago now. Yeah, it was before la- just before last season. Yeah, I know because I got a ticket on my way to record it because I was late and I was speeding. Idiot. Yeah. Uh, K-Waz says, all right, Ryan, on a scale of 1 to 10, what level of fangirl did you feel talking to Nicholas Lidstrom? We we should ask we should pull them out of the three of us who is the most nervous. They would get it wrong. They would get it wrong. Yeah, they would one hundred percent get it. I wrong. would tell you I had to say out loud. Okay, none of us can sob externally, and that was mostly directed to me. <laughs> you do it before and after, and then during. You just try to keep it all together. I'm very happy that we're all so incredibly busy right now between the baby, the house, and whatever the hell it is Evan does in his free time. Um, Good question. Because we, <laughs> we didn't. Like, we knew this was coming and we had it planned, but we didn't have time to, like, fixate on it. And if I did, I – it was the coolest thing we've done on this podcast and we've said this how many times? We say it, like, once a month and we genuinely mean it. And interviewing Nicholas Lidstrom. Growing up, I would – like, an idol as a child. That's the level of fangirl. What do you guys think is causing these third-period garbage parties? Oh, man. Bad teams. Bad teams, lack of talent. <sighs> Prevent defense. The Red Wings sit – back when they have a lead and it drives me nuts keep attacking for the love of god if i see one more five-man box in the defensive zone i'm gonna go out there and throw something at them they prevent defenses for teams that can prevent play defense. prevent defense and actually have the offense to be preventing a lead 
That's yeah, a hot or, take. Yeah. I'm sorry, Madison Bowie's not preventing anything effectively. So no, this this notion that playing your bad player, if a player's bad offensively, they're automatically good defensively, is ridiculous. Madison Bowie's not good defensively. He gets burned as like like I understand the guy's likable, and I understand you want him over someone who's you know as good as him, but 15 years older. I agree with that 100. percent but he should not be out there in key situations or penalty kills or things like that. Yeah, but who else are you going to put out That's there? That's exactly why they're doing right De Kaiser's hurt right now. So your options for reliable defensemen right now uh, start and end with Philip Heronic. Like, what do you <laughs> – and he's he's basically a rookie. What do you want? One of these days, uh, Brad, with his animated hand talking, is going to take this entire thing down. Yeah. Right? yeah. Um, Evan Beckner says, hey, guys, I'm sure you're going to discuss Chalosky sitting, so I figured I'd add my two cents. Remember about two seasons ago when Blast did the same thing with Athens CU? That turned out pretty well. Double A evolved into a better all-around player after his benching wake-up call. He used to be a significant defensive liability. Now, even though he's not scoring, he's still a useful uh, TWF. T- he's still a useful F. Total. What am I missing here? Wild forward. Uh, due in part to being benched a few games here and there. I know it's easy to criticize coaching the season, but in this instance, Blash has history on his side. There's something in Chelsea's game we don't see that they do. I, I, I will fair disagree. statement. I, if you believe that, I just this isn't the first instance of it happening. That's where I lose it. So again, this is going to circle back to another conversation that we've already had. So I won't go dive into depth. It depends on your view of how quickly. You think Athens, you and Mantha developed into the players they did, and I both think they took longer to get to where they are than they should have. So you can form your own opinion because there literally is no right answer here, and we will never know. There is no way to know. Maybe this was faster than they would have got here. I don't think that's the case, but it could very well be the case. Uh, also, the reason subpar veterans don't see this tough love is because they have nothing else to learn. Teachers are always harder on the bright kids. Again, fair. But to what extent is my question? Because if Cholosky is playing better than those guys by a substantial amount, then you maybe lose. That's too far of a disconnect. Well, like it's kind of like that. I, it, these are good points. They are. They're fair and they're valid points. I just can't bring. I can find myself falling on that side of the argument the first time or the second time. But now it's it's like what's uh oh, I forget the expression, but the, how you want to prove you're the toughest guy in a room, walk up to the biggest guy and take him out. Same thing in the NHL locker room. You don't walk up to the young rookie curling up in the corner. Go after a, a vet, a significant player, someone who's done things. Mike Green comes to mind in this example. But you want to make an example for the young kids? Nobody's safe. If you want to scratch Shalosky, cool. This entire argument we have made today, for the most part, I will consider moot. If over the next three games, Chalosky goes back in, then Green comes out, 100%. then Daly comes out, then Bowie comes out, or whatever order. If they all get healthy scratch over the next short term, fine. I'm all in. I, I'm cool with it. Mostly. But if that doesn't happen, then yeah, no, it's not setting a good good example for the room. Uh, Matt Platt says, you boys have officially made it. McCarty, now Lidstrom. Only thing left is to get the captain on the dub-dub. Congratulations. You guys deserve uh, the success coming to you. Also, congratulations to Brad on the babe. Almost. Still waiting. Now to the gloom and doom that is the Red Wings. Thank you, Matt. Now now to the gloom and doom that is the Red Wings. How concerned are you guys about the way the org has been treating Cholosky? Can't help but fear he won't want to be here much longer if they keep this up. I don't think we're in that territory yet. I wouldn't be too concerned about that. I do wish they were... I, I think, I don't know. I don't know the guy. I don't know what goes on in the room, but I just can't help but feel some 
positive reinforcement would be good. <laughs> I don't I don't think it'll matter contract wise because I don't think Blashu will be here by the time Chalowski hits UFA. No. Yako uh, Ryuta says, so you guys have interviewed Nick Lidstrom. Where does this rank among your life achievements? <laughs> um I don't know. It's gotta be top three. <laughs> baby one, baby two, this Marion Crystal. <laughs> uh, <whoa. laughs> you know what? I'm disassociating myself now. <laughs> the baby two has been kind of a rocky process. I yeah, put about baby he, two. He's getting himself knocked down the list very quickly here. No, like I'm not even exaggerating when I say this is among the coolest things I've done in my life. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Yeah. This is like number yeah, 20 sure. for Evan. He's very I, I can't even count that high. On an unrelated note, do you think Ilya Kovalchuk is a Hall of Famer? <laughs> Probably. Um, I don't have it. I don't know his career stats off the top of my head. My initial gut reaction right now is saying no. He's almost a point per game player, I think. Over how long? And 892 NHL games according to Hockey DB. Does he have a cup? 858. No cups. That's close, man. Because, like, I petitioned hard for Pavel Bure to be a Hall of Famer. That's right. He has to go in before him for sure. And Kovalchuk, his career numbers aren't far off Beret's. Kovalchuk wasn't nearly as flashy as Beret was, but man, dominant goal scorers in their prime, point per game. Ah. Well, they'll consider the KHL as well, right? Do you think that helps him or hurts him? Helps. That Over he a point per game there. No, the fact that he went there in the middle of his career, though. The Hockey Hall of Fame tries to be objective about hockey and not just... He's NHL. never won anything, though, other than the Olympics, which were not really the Olympics. If he's he's not first ballot by any means, I don't think. I mean, if he wins a cup, imagine he goes on a yeah, because LA is getting a run. Uh, Jeff Lehman says, "Is Athanasiu overrated? I feel like last year we were saying things, uh, saying things uh, need to fall in place. He's snake bitten. He's gripping the stick too tight, etc. Seems like maybe this is what he is. Extremely streaky and unreliable on a team that we have nothing stable. Doesn't it make sense to move him for a more solid piece if one can be found? Congrats on Lidstrom, boys." Uh, this is what Athanasiu is. I don't think we've really ever argued against that. He's a streaky, one-dimensional player. It's one hell of a dimension, and when he's on, he's really on. You just hope that when the Red Wings are good, he hits one of these streaks while they're in the playoffs. Um, Craig Kibble says, a couple things, boys. Last episode during the Athanasiu one-for-one talk, you three sounded like a trio of senior citizens unable to pass their bowels every time a tough trade was asked. Yeah, we did a lot of umming and awing and silence. I'm a big that. um guy. Yeah. If, if we say yes or no right away, it wasn't a good enough comparison. The ums and ahs are the good ones. Also, you guys freaking made it. I was jumping up and down when I saw the thread saying you guys are interviewing Litz. Uh, this has been a great year for the Dub Dub. Maybe next you can replace some of those beat writers down at the Joe. I don't know if writings are, are, are talented where uh but maybe i don't know how do you put professional talky bullshitter on a business card yeah professional hockey talkier just right entertainer <laughs> keeps it mysterious and they'll be intrigued hey you know what we are pundits i don't I, like that word i no, that sounds pundits. too political don't We're, like it don't like it at all jacob lozen says hi dub dubs congrats brad crystal and mika again Almost. Almost. I am not going to lie. I've been iffy on getting on Larks getting the C on popular opinion, I know. Basing it all on our last three captains and how cool-headed they seem. Larkin seems to be hot-headed at times. Passionate, if you will. But last night, I saw Hronik launch that empty netter from his own goal line. And instead of smiling and congratulating him, it looked like Larks went over and told him how foolish that was. While also saying, nice shot. I was impressed by him mentoring him so tactfully. I am on board. Give Larks a C. Stay fresh, cheese bags. Did he say that? I didn't see that at all. I have no idea. I also don't. I'm not a huge fan of this um, 
never have to be. No, no, not captains. The whole uh, getting to the specific incident. I'm a firm belief if you're in your own zone and you have a clear look at the net empty net, go for it. 100 percent of the time, you win. Even the worst centerman in the NHL wins close to 50 percent of his draws. You probably have a 50 percent chance of hitting the net, and then another 50 percent chance of regaining possession. I don't know the mathematics here of just softly dumping it into the neutral zone and letting the team regroup and come back with it versus trying to ice the game. So I don't know. I just wanted to get that point out there. That's one thing that's always bothered me. Joseph Delia says, sup my dudes went to the game last night and it amazes me how many McDavid jerseys I saw. I think it was 10 to one to Larkin jerseys. So anyways, I saw Dan clear and he kept bugging me to sign a PTO. Unfortunately, I had to, had to decline and explain to him that I need the time to harass the dub dub podcast boys. Anyways, congrats on the big name interview. Sky's the limit. I was wondering if it makes sense to switch to Tuzi and, uh, to switch Bertuzzi with Mantha, both lines would have two four checkers. That, that way, we can have Athens U and Mantha cherry pick. Please discuss. Thank you. Um, Mantha can drive the play. Bertuzzi not so much, which is why they keep Bertuzzi with Larkin. Although I do see what you're saying. I I think a lot of what maximizing Mantha's talent means maximizing the talent around him. It's not a coincidence that he was producing a ton of goals when he was playing with Larkin and Bertuzzi. Yeah, the, his current line struggles to get him the puck, but he is a play driver, and that line has been producing a lot of chances. Mantha hasn't been bad. And and Bertuzzi and Larkin are good enough. Like, I, I don't want to diminish the guy, but they're good enough where you can put a placeholder on that line because Darren Helm should never be in a top NHL top six ever under any circumstance, ever, ever, ever. Even though he is fantastic at um, recovering pucks and generating chances, he's not a good playmaker, and he might be the worst finisher in the NHL. So... But he's he's absolutely good enough to carry water for Larkin and Bertuzzi. So I understand why they're doing this and I don't hate it. But I really, really do think Mantha needs to play with a proper playmaker. Um, and the other thing here is that it's not a knock on Helm because I think there have been players who played with the top line before that haven't held their own. And he's held his own. He's held his own. He's But he- like you said, it's not – you don't want that to be the case. It's a huge drop off from Mantha to Helm and – Again, in a in a perfect world, Darren Helm's not there. It's a compliment to Helm for a guy who objectively should be a fourth liner that's able to jump up on the first line and not look horrendously out of place. Yeah. Uh, it's a huge compliment to the guy. But in a perfect world, you hope the Red Wings bring in a project like Brandon Perlini who could slot in there and shovel in 20 – you could give – Darren Helm, 100 shots a game. He's not shoveling in 20 goals. He just, he does not have the capability. You know what Darren Helm would be really good at, I think, though? Target shooting. Because <laughs> he hits nothing but the logo. So you present something round in front of him, he's going to hit it. Um, and Arjun Shanker finishes by saying, holy furk. Arjun, I hope you enjoy the fact that your name and your question was read out to Nicholas Lidstrom. Thank you to all of you so much for supporting the show uh, we can't do the things that we do without you. This is your show as much as it is ours. Um, every step of the way, we all look at each other and say, how did we get here? And the answer is you guys. We interviewed Darren McCarty and Nicholas Lidstrom, thanks to you guys. And in when, the same month. And when we almost started in the same week. <laughs> when we started the show almost five years ago, we would have laughed ourselves silly if we said that would ever happen. So thank you all so much. We're going to wrap up this episode. Thank you to all of our listeners, all of our patrons, our name level sponsors, Luke Johnson, Arjun Shanker, Clayton Van Dyken, Mike Reed, Langabeer, Matthew M. Rice, Ryan Lewis, Sean Levine, Matthew McKay, Hannah Lee, 
Kaitlin Wood, Jacob Turner, Charlie Elkins, John Evans, Antonio Lupu, Rob Thiel, Craig Kibble, Stan Olson, Ryan Lewis, Mike DiLoretto, and Simon Anderson, who gave us that really great Russian nesting doll. Thank you all so much. Uh, I'm going to be on a boat for the next week, so good luck with these two dummies. Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town Evan.